Hello and welcome to the Drug Science Podcast with me, David Nutt. Here we're bringing together experts and activists for a rational, honest and informed conversation about drugs. A Fascinate Productions podcast for drug science. Today we'll be discussing alcohol. Why do we Brits consume so much? What effect is it having on us as individuals and our society? And we discuss a promising new drug that has the potential to disrupt the alcohol market. To discuss all this and more, I'm joined by Dr. Christian Jessen, a physician and TV presenter for shows such as Embarrassing Bodies. What's your typical Christian? I'm a wine man. A good, good red wine. And Adrian Childs, whose fantastic documentary, Drinkers Like Me, aired on the BBC last year. Hi, David. The last time I saw you, we were in here drinking, well, not immoderately, but not exactly moderately either. But we, I, think, I think we exceeded the daily allowance. No, we just reached it, Adrian, just for the record. You just reached it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so where we are, by the way, is in a, a wine bar in Ealing called Abbots Hill. This is a wine bar that I'm a part owner of. And uh, if people think that's strange... Well, you can ask me questions as to why I'm doing it uh, and have such an interest subsequently. Across the UK, millions of us regularly visit beer gardens, bars and nightclubs, and many also enjoy a drink at home. A glass of wine after a hard day's work can help us wind down, or a cold beer can give us the excuse we need to socialise with friends. Oh, it's just a little, nice little reward as the day is coming to a close. It does facilitate some pretty hilarious conversations and you chat to people you'd normally never talk to. However, drinking isn't without personal risks, and one of the largest of these is alcoholic liver disease. Alcohol costs the NHS an estimated £3.5 billion per year. Derek has liver disease. I woke up one morning and felt incredibly sick uh, and ended up throwing up a huge blood clot He'll need a liver transplant if he's to survive. The risks of alcohol are well documented, but many of us don't seem to care. On the night out, I drink about two bottles of wine and I'm done for that. About 16 beers? Yeah, no, it's uh, about 15, 16. Yeah, yeah, 10 pints. Yeah, maybe a couple of shots, that's about it. Some of us do choose to go without, but this can come with a social stigma. If you say, do you want to just meet up and hang out? I think it's, that, that would be treated a little bit more suspicion than saying, if you say, do you want to go for a drink? People are like, yeah, all right. If you're not drinking, it feels like the burden of proof is on you to really say why. So, what does the future hold for our relationship with alcohol? So let's start off with Adrian, because you have been very brave and and very open about alcohol and, and its re- your relationship with it and also effects on you and your family. So how's your attitude or your relationship with alcohol changed since you made this, uh, this landmark programme, Drinkers Like Me? Well, I've been warier of it and I drink less. Um, I sort of like it more in a way, having realised just to go for sort of quality rather than, rather than quantity. And I think my big realisation making the programme was the need to drink mindfully. So what I mean by that, I think, as I said to you before, if you lined up all the drinks I'd drunk in my life and put them in next to each other in glasses, it'd be about four miles long. Now, the real tragedy of it is that if I think how many of those I wanted, stroke needed, stroke enjoyed, I doubt it'd be a quarter. So that's... 75% of all the drinks I've drunk putting through my liver causing who knows what kind of harm. Mm. I was just drinking for the sake of drinking. It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. So I've just tried to get it down to the the drinks I really want or need to enjoy and get as close as I can to that to that 14 units a week. I mean that that's been that's been the, the big thing, the big thing for me. What, what made you do that? What was the sort of the turning point? Well, I made this, well, I made this documentary and I just... Don't tell me TV changed your life. Come on. Well, no, I mean, he kind, he kind of did really because only because for the first time I had to count what I was drinking. Everyone's got a list of excuses that illustrate to the world why they haven't got a drink problem. I've heard them all. It's like, I haven't got a problem because dot, dot, dot. Mm. I don't drink alone. I don't drink at home. I don't drink... You know, I don't drink until the middle of the night. 
I don't get into fights. I don't sleep with the wrong people because of drink. You know, I only drink at weekends. I do a lot of exercise. It's all nonsense. Let's boil it down to the fact that if you're drinking a lot, you're actually drinking a lot. And when the only way to find out how much you're drinking is to count it. And once I counted it, and I only did that with a camera on me, right, then I realized just how much I was drinking. Now, you know, and I was not a big drinker. You know, I was always getting slagged off by my friends. I, you know, when they were out after night, I would, by 11 o'clock, I was done. But you say I just met a mate, let's say I met a mate six nights a week. I had a couple of pints early evening, then went home and got on with my life. Well, six pints, a pint is, say, 2.2, so let's say four and a half units for two pints. You multiply that by six, you get into the high 20s. Add in maybe one night we had a glass of wine too, plus just one night out, no, normally more than that. Then, you know, you're well on your way to 50 units a week. And then I just looked around me and I realised, well, hey, the the three middle-aged afflictions I had, reflux, to which I took that a, a premazole, or meprazole, I can never remember which it is, high blood pressure, again, the biggest identifiable cause of high blood pressure is alcohol, mm-hmm. and then anxiety and depression, to which I was on citalopram, all are alcohol-related. It was staring me in the face. But none of the doctors I spoke to about those three things ever, if they asked me about alcohol at all, it was sort of rather half-heartedly. I wish, it's, look, it is my responsibility. I'm not asking for a nanny stay. But I wish a GP or someone had said, look, I need to know what you're drinking. I'm not, let's, let's not go through the normal farce where you tell me and I double it. Right, I really need to know what you're drinking. Mm. It's not going to kill you. Don't feel bad. I'm not judging you. Let's just sort it out, shall we? And find out, you know, what we're up against. Nobody ever did that. Not a cardiologist, not a psychiatrist, nor the gastroenterologist, I saw you know, it's just, I mean, maybe I could have made more of it, but you need pressing. You need pressing on this. I think that illustrates the kind of collective desire by most people who drink not to face up to the facts about drinking, and even the, the doctors. And, well, yeah even, yeah, even the doctors, you're absolutely right. I mean, something I really feel passionate about, and it's a figure I didn't come across until, I, until after the programme I started sort of researching it more, mainly because the world's most eminent hepatologists started, started courting me. So, you know, Roger Williams at, uh, at, at King's, uh, Ian Gilmore of the, you know, was the Royal, uh, Royal College of Royal Physicians. Physicians. And they said, can you help us out here? So actually looking at the facts. Now, as I'm sure you know, five, something like the 5% of the heaviest drinkers drink something astonishing, like half of all the alcohol. So they're, you know, getting towards triple figures, units mm-hmm. per week. Then the next 25% are drinkers like me, right? Who are these? Those are the drinkers who drink between 14 units and 50 units for men and 35 units for women. Now, these are the ones I worry about. These were drinkers like me. And these are the ones who the, the government doesn't seem to believe in the advice of its own chief medical officers on that. Everybody goes around saying, oh, that's nonsense, that 14 units, that 20, it's fine, that's nonsense, it's nonsense. But there's also something that's gone on in, in what is now, I now find out, is known as social norming, right? So one of the excuses to say, I haven't got a problem, is you say, everybody drinks. 14 units, Everybody drinks more than that. I've heard that a million times. 14 units is nothing. Nobody drinks that little. What's the point of drinking that little? It's balls, <laughs> right? 70% <laughs> of all drinkers drink 14 units or less. 70%. You know, and th- there's, there's, a real value in, there's a real value in that. You know, I think the warning on bottles should be, if you drink 14 units or less, then you almost certainly won't be damaging your health, or however you want to word it. That is a better way of doing it than, say, drink more than 14 units and you're seriously risking your health. That's, tr- that's not working as much as you can get the alcohol industry to label anything anyway. Well, that, so let's try it the, the other way around. Well, that is, that is part of the problem. We don't have, we don't have warnings on bottles. Uh, it's, well, you, you, it's a voluntary thing. And guess what? It's a voluntary thing. It hardly works. It's a disgrace. It's an absolute I mean, the idea disgrace. behind that is nudging, isn't it? What the economists yeah. call nudging. So yeah, that's what I'm, that's, I'm talking about, nudging. Yeah. But what, what's on there at the moment is it's just ridiculous. Look, if I go into a bar, there's a load of um, pumps, right? In very small writing, it'll tell you the alcohol percentage. If you look very closely, yeah. you peer down 4.2, yeah. 4.2, you try and look for a sort of a lower one. I, on, every, on every pump, I just think it should say, in a pint of this, there's two point whatever units, and there's this many calories. 
that should go on there. Look, if I buy a bag of crisps to go with my beer, it's by Lord, it's got to say how many calories are in it. Now, which is more toxic, a bag of cheese and onion or the, or the pint of beer? Now, look, I'm not anti-drinking. I love drinking. I think it's kind of God's gift if used responsibly. So I'm not part of some temperance movement or something. But, you know, we need complete information. Now, I'm not saying put a warning on saying alcohol kills because it's not like smoking. But nevertheless, we need complete information on there. Just, just to give us a bit more feedback yeah. as to how your program was received, I got a quote here from Frank Skinner who said, stopping drinking ruined his social life. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people took exception to that. Um, as, Frank, you know, as Frank said to me afterwards when he was getting a, a bit of stick, I suppose, although a lot of people loved what he said. But, you know, as he said, look, I was wet in the bed. I was drinking Perno in the morning. In fact, when he re everyone's got a different idea what an alcoholic is. For him, it was when he, he switched from sherry in the morning to Perno in the morning. He thought, mm, I might have a problem here. So sherry in the morning was all right. Perno in the morning, maybe not. But as Frank said to me after, he said, look, I nearly died, right? I stopped drinking, and I think it's 27 years now. He hasn't touched a drop, right? So he said, so look, I've earned the right to have my opinion. And he said, I don't give a, you know, I don't give a toss what anyone says. And that's fine. I think there is a way of enjoying life without drinking. It's the other thing about social norming. That's a con. You absolutely can. With a bit of help from the industry, with drinks, you know, alcohol-free beers, you come in pint. So you can stand with a pint and still go to the pub and enjoy an alcohol-free beer in a pint glass, not some piddly little bottle of Beck's. Um, Bex Zero, whatever it's called, which is hiding at the bottom of the fridge. You know, and the industry is gradually catching up yeah. with that. Weaker beers. You know, you go to Australia, the, the, in the 2 3% category, there's loads of stuff available. The only one I know of here is something called Alpine Lager, which Sam Smiths do, which is perfect, which is 2.7%. To me, it tastes great. I'd drink that on a night out, perfect. I mean, that's, in, that's them doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, though. They're doing it. because I mean, I know them in London, but they're, they're like city boys. So, you know, the boys can go in and drink six pints of lager at lunchtime without crashing the hedge fund in the afternoon. <laughs> so, I think in that sense, they're doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Mm. But we, we need to see more of that. I've taken to drinking a pint. And the, the only difficult thing about this is explaining what you want. It's essentially a shandy, but made with soda instead of lemonade. Right, now it's a German idea. They call it a beer sour in Germany. So you have half a pint of lager or whatever, and half a pint of sober soda, and there's your pint. Now you don't really notice the difference. After all, you got a bit of an alcohol hit, but by definition, you've, you've halved the amount of alcohol. I mean, the trouble is, as I say, explaining what you want. No, let me try it again. No, I want half a <laughs> beer, half. Then you get two halves. Then. No, all right. Can I have a pint glass? And then they bloody well charge you as though they've charged you for a pint, which just gets annoying. But anyway, they, you know, that's sort of one tip I've got. And then there's lots of stuff about wine getting, I mean, I think I drink, buy better wine and drink less of it and maybe weaker wine as well. Not the 14%, go for 9, 10%. There's a lot of talk, isn't there, about, you know, men of a certain age, probably our age, actually. Yeah. You get to a certain point in your career, in your life, you, where you're sort of comfortable and settled. And that's when the drinking really starts to set in but it's it's a sort of unrecognized hidden not i don't mean in a sort yeah. of covert way but you in a covert way you yeah. just don't re, you knock it back and no one ever questions but it. i think your tolerance is basically going up mm. as well so you need a little bit more all the time for the same hit and yeah. the sense that life becomes unthinkable to those who not, aren't necessarily big drinkers. When I said there was a, my, my friend from home, I hadn't seen it for donkey's year, I saw it at a Christmas party, and I was, talk, I was telling her I was making this documentary. I said, so, and she's kind of a wine o'clock type drinker. And I said, what would you, what if, you know, I said to you, you couldn't drink again? She said, I'd shit myself. I mean, literally, she used that language. She said, it, it was literally fear. You know, and it's, and that's a kind, I can enjoy drink, but I now know that it, the world isn't, as another friend of mine said, a big, a big drinker she said you know just without alcohol the world feels like a very beige place to me and i thought that was an awful thing to say but then i recognized it in myself yeah that's how i feel you know and that and that's wrong you've got to start seeing the colors around you again 
But you must, Christian, in, in your profession, you must come across a lot of people who you have to advise about drinking, who are drinking because they're trying to fill some void or deal you with some other anxiety. They self-medicate because we, my profession, lets them down or doesn't identify quite the, you know, their needs um, or they can't vocalise their needs. I think there's that sort of middle-aged as a drinker who, I think we're very good at conning ourselves. There's that if you're drinking a better class of wine, you know, you're buying your posh Bordeaux in yeah. now, that's somehow not as bad as your cheap lagers that you used to drink as a student. You know, we're very, you mean the red wine myth? This, yeah, or, I'm not saying it's true, but it's this idea that, you know, because yeah. we're now drinking several bottles of good red wine a night, that can't possibly be as bad as, you know. It's a nonsense. And that's, that's, again, a nonsense. Um, so I see that a lot with my patients. But I do see we are very good at kidding ourselves. I know you sort of mentioned the we'll take what you say and double it, and to a degree we, we sort of do, but you're right. We do need to actually also push you a little bit more for accuracy. Um, yeah. You know, the fact that you're on citalopram and no one, which is an antidepressant, and no one asked you about your drinking well, I think they asked, but they didn't really. drill down. I mean, it's absurd because I'm asked, I said, you should have been stricter on me, which is an absurd thing for, you know, an intelligent human being, I supposedly am, to say to another intelligent human being. You know, you can talk your way around people very easily. I mean, my old man's been doing it for donkey's years, you know, going, how much do you want? Well, a bottle of wine, I'm, I mean, I'm don't we all kind of thing the doctor you know there's some old cardiologist all ruddy face oh, quite right quite right you know so so off we go again and then the nod ward, and the wink rounds, as a medical student they probably still do this you know alcohol was very much part of, on the drug chart as you know the the old especially on the yeah. elderly wards you know who were so used to their evening drink that's only in the private system if you suddenly <laughs> no this was very much not this was sort of yeah. Northwick Park in the green yeah. old days but you know that was yes. very it much was a sherry at night a, to help someone yeah, sleep absolutely because they were so used to it. Take that away. They they virtually withdraw from it, you know. But there was also this wonderful old adage, which is uh, the definition of an alcoholic is someone who drinks more than their doctor. Yeah. And I think doctors are scared of confronting the truth because it you know it it reflects on their own. Just getting back to the messaging, I think you said to me, David, before we're trying to get away from the the label of alcoholic. This. Am I or aren't I? It's not a binary thing, no, is it? Not. I mean, if you, you know, it's, it's not when somebody who obviously somebody who is, you know, drinking sherry or perno in the morning is an alcoholic, inverted commas. But, mm. you know, that's that just allows the rest of us to look at that person. And, well, that's not me. Therefore, I am exactly. fine. Exactly. So I just think it's getting this focus on this Look, 14 units a week. Try and get it down as close to that as you possibly can. Just that, and people have got to start believing that evidence. You know, I've, I've had people tell me it's nonsense. People have gone about the data, the way it was collected, and some kind of con going on. You know, it's, and somebody said you need randomized control trials. Well, unless you have like 100 babies born, and then and another 100 babies born, and the first lot have got to drink fake alcohol all their lives, and the other, I don't know how you, you obviously can't do that. And I trust the likes of David and many others when they say, look, these figures are real. I mean, not least because you say it with some regret and dismay in your voice. You'd rather it was otherwise, wouldn't yeah, you? You say it was a drinker yeah. yourself. But you say, you know, you say try and get your numbers down, which I, I'm completely on board yeah. with. But, you know, when society, when you've been brought up yeah. from a child in a society that has literally conditioned you yeah. to, they've wound you up yeah. and then at a certain age have gone, all right. Go, yeah. you know, and that is that yeah. is how it is. We were talking about, you know, birthday cards, eighteen birthday cards. You know, you cannot find one. Any card. Any card really on the Scott Booze. It's on it's yeah. and it's almost some of the messenger now you can get shit faced. You know, that's yeah. that's oh, the sort no. of you oh, know, no. open it up. How then do you start trying to preach moderation in this society that's talk his And do you know of of the this kind of soft pro-alcohol stuff in my lexical set is a very pompous way of putting it but in the broadcasting i do do a lot about sport and stuff you know you do find yourself just saying even i still oh they'll be painting the town red tonight in liverpool or whatever or or he deserves a drink tonight you know you, it's just it's just peppered it's it's peppered through our vocabulary you know but again 70 percent of all drinkers are managing to do it. Mm. I'd love to see a public health campaign with a load of sort of cool people, not me, but say, hey, I love drink. 
and I'm, you know, I'm drinking less than 14 units or something and come up with better than that. But something to get that message out there, because part of the tactic of the alcohol industry is to paint us all like we're we, we're 19th century American prohibitionists or something. It's just I think nonsense. going back to the age thing, I think that is changing. I think the young'uns are drinking less from what I hear. Yes, I but think I, it's us yeah. a lot. That, uh, I think that's true. But hang on, let's be careful about this because it's not. I mean, that's good. It's promising. I don't see much evidence of it myself, but I, I, I trust the figures. Just because they're not drinking, it doesn't mean they're sitting at home right, reading improving novels. I mean, you know, that's university campus. I mean, they go out for ketamine. Like, we might have had half a pint of lager, like, 25 some years ago. Some might that's safer, some might not. Yes, yeah, that's, so, that's right. Debate, let's, but... let's not get into that one. But uh... <laughs> That'll be another podcast. Yeah. 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 yeah, right. Yeah, the question is, what are they doing instead? Yeah. I mean, usually it's some crazy health fad, I suspect, or highly restrictive diet or ridiculous supplementation regime that whether it's as as harmful or not i mean you know we can look into that the discussion started though in some young people there is a there is at least there's an awareness awareness awareness. absolutely one final thing i think worth just comparing and contrasting binging from just heavy or drinking day in day out either of you want to i mean that's something we see a lot in patients and again it's sort of hard to identify and and people perceive it very differently there's that sort of go out and get smashed at the weekend and then behave yourself as they say very well during the week versus the steady bottle of wine and nighters you know constantly that's probably more my parents they'll kill Mm. me for saying this but you know i'd say they're a bottle of wine and nighter my parents they'll share it usually i think unless my dad's really on a roll but that's a (laughs) consistent steady solid you know um reliable drinking they're certainly not Let's get smashed at the weekend, loves. Yeah. But I think there is also a sense that if, if you're not getting really smashed, you're safe. Yeah. And I but think what your research has shown that. Exactly. Yeah, it has. But I would also say there are adjectives here which are meaningless because what is a binge? What is heavy? What is moderate? Well, we've got that defined now. No, we? and it's but, no, but, but you can <laughs> define it, but what people understand by it, mm. moderate. Most people, as my dad says he's a moderate drinker, drinking, you know, a bottle of wine a day at least. That's moderate in his view. Moderate mm. doesn't mean anything. No. Moderate is as meaningless as most people regard themselves as above average drivers. Yes. yes. But, you know, which is plainly a nonsense. It's, it, it, it's a bit like that. Let's be clear. Mm. More than 14 units a week isn't moderate. It's not... You know, if you, as, as a as a median as a median average, that is high. If seventy percent of people, seventy percent of drinkers, are drinking less, I mean, I think it's interesting. The the, the mean consumption of all drinkers, and the median consumption of all drinkers are wildly different. Yeah, that's figures, a really aren't they? quite a technical piece of statistics. I won't I won't embarrass Christian by asking him to define the difference between a medium and median. I know he can. I'm not sure I can oh, at this stage. But beyond that, it's also a bit complicated to get across without some graphics. So let's let's just move on. Let's well, move I on. I didn't to... think I'd have a professor telling me I was being too complicated. <laughs> that was fantastic. Mean and median. I mean if yeah mean, median and mode. And the mode well, no, uh, I mean if I can just t- sorry to, to interrupt, but it's a bit like the figures for Ireland and Scotland. I'm, I'm sure this is true in Ireland, where the highest level of abstinence in the British Isles is in is in Ireland, but the highest average intake of alcohol is also in Ireland. So that tells you there's more people not drinking, but those who aren't drinking are absolutely caning it. I mean, you're going to argue that there is a we are born with mechanisms to metabolise alcohol, aren't we? Indeed, we are. So, evolution in evolutionary terms, are we not designed to take in alcohol? just not quite in the amounts that society has now designed us to take in. Is that a fair comment? That's a very interesting question. And the enzyme which breaks down alcohol breaks down other things. I don't think we've evolved it just for alcohol. But there are also many... uh, When we talk about alcohol, let's be clear, we're talking here about ethanol. But there are very, very many forms of alcohol, not just methanol and propanol, but also complex alcohols so but we're also evolved to impregnate women indiscriminately but that doesn't mean we go and do it some of does you it? Are. yeah yeah <laughs> that's where the alcohol Adrian, comes Adrian, in you've, uh, you've you know you've given us your perspective yeah. on how we should progress yeah. we should have better education better understanding yeah. i think this concept of mindful drinking is a really clever one i mean i think that's you know the the, the challenge of course is to get people to be mindful we enjoy it more so again it's the language don't talk about what you mustn't do talk about how you 
can enjoy alcohol more by drinking less, drinking That's better. That's the revolution. Is in sex education, we've started talking about pleasure instead of all the negative side effects and hell and damnation. Oh, right. And that's doing wonders. Because if you just teach shame and, you know, which is the tabloids, every sex story yeah. is a negative, yeah. shameful one, isn't it? Yeah. So the message is all, oh, this is bad, this is shameful, this is wrong, which sets up in people's heads, especially, you know, young people, you know, some real complex problems yeah. that take years of therapy to unpick in dieting and weight loss that mindful eating you say mm. so I, I i always teach my patients two questions i go so you know ask yourself two things how am i feeling what do i need all right so that means are you actually hungry are you feeling hungry no i'm not actually i'm just feeling a bit bored so what do you need is it food no it's not you probably need to go for a walk ring your friend take the dog out something. you can apply exactly the same thing to alcohol which is you know your same point is that mindful except that and I think I want to get to this point because it seems to me that part of the problem with alcohol is that alcohol used to be the great social lubricant, and it still is. But there's also a lot of drinking, which you might call solitary or sort of more isolated drinking in front of the TV without really even knowing what you're drinking. You're just drinking because you drink when you watch TV. And, and that way you're getting no benefit from it really no well you, if it makes you feel good in some way or it numbs something then i suppose you could say it is being of a benefit but the social component you know is going because i think more is sold more is, is sold in the off trade isn't it way and more, it's incredibly cheap yeah. and as frank skinner was saying i said at least when he was drinking he recognized there was some social component to it yeah. but the big pubs round where he lived now where i spend a lot of time now I mean, one's a, one's a huge vets from some big chain of vets, some big pubs. The pubs are sort of dying off, so people are just sloping off home with you know, four cans of cheap European lager. And I find that extremely disturbing, I mean, because to my mind, the, the, the real value of alcohol is in improving social discourse and you know, making, getting rid of that anxiety that people have when they want to talk to someone. Yeah. And you know, allowing them to be you know more open and more honest, and and that's kind of where I've been thinking about the future. Because I, as many of you know, and uh, we've got some questions on Twitter about this. I I spent most of my professional career trying to find solutions to the alcohol problem. Actually, in my, during my PhD of nearly forty years ago, I discovered an antidote. I discovered I could get a rat very very drunk, and I could wake it up, and it would be behave perfectly normally. And I ran into my professor and I said, I've got it. I've got an antidote to alcohol. He said, what's the point of that? And I thought, uh, well, at least you'd know where you were and who you were. Uh, he said, yeah, but you're still going to die of all the toxicity. I said, oh, well, put that to one side, you know. Uh, so it would probably make you drink more, actually, not like. Well, it might, it might yes, it, of course, you could try to overcome it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I put that to one side. But it, that was actually the first time I realized that you could use pharmacology to approach the question. Until about the 1990s, people thought alcohol was just a solvent. Because, you know, something like butane or toluene, you know, like glue, it dissolved your membrane. Now, then we discovered that it wasn't. The fact you could reverse it with a specific antidote showed it wasn't a solvent. It showed it was actually working like a neurotransmitter. And over the last 40 odd years, I've been trying to understand how alcohol works in the brain and hone down our knowledge so that we could potentially find something to replace it and that's what i've been trying to do and it's proved actually quite difficult and it's also been quite challenging to get people interested but i'd be fascinated to know what you two think about this what, what, in what form it would be a drink you have a choice you go to a you'd go but to, what would it look like it would be something you put into a cocktail so if if you like pina colada put in pina colada you know if you like whiskey sour, you'd make a virgin pina colada and add in your yes that's right your fake out would it be tasteless uh no you'd have to put it into a taste mask you'd have to put it into something that you like the taste of it okay no but per se on its own it would, would have it, be, it would probably be unpleasant so you probably wouldn't want to drink it on its own. so you, you couldn't make wine out of it you could potentially uh, actually uh, that's a sort of technical question how to what extent you can take well, taste mask i mean it might be that we could find ones that you know that were acceptable in terms of taste but Certainly the easiest way of producing a drink is to put it into something like a cocktail, yes. But what, what you haven't quite made clear, and I think the point is that this is something you can take that doesn't have the damaging long-term effects on liver, doesn't cause cirrhosis, doesn't cause encephalitis, doesn't cause all the sort of... Absolutely. Is that, is that... Yeah, the vision is that you can 
you can mimic the good effects of alcohol in the brain by targeting the very specialized receptors in the brain that alcohol works on, but you wouldn't have all the collateral damage. You wouldn't affect the liver or the heart or the blood pressure or your brain. So what side effects would it have? Um, you can still drink enough of it and walk under a bus. Yeah, if I drank it on a daily basis. The hope is, the vision, and we obviously we've got to do testing on it, but yeah. the vision would be it would be at least a, at least 100 times less harmful. It would be of a sort of pharmaceutical safety level rather than an alcohol safety, uh, toxic level. I think that could work. I think the kind of people who enjoy fine wine, you know, in, really enjoy the taste of wine or really enjoy the beer, camera and so on, you're never going to, yeah. I don't think you're going to find a way of utilising that in those drinks. But off on a night out, putting it in cocktails, Mix other mixers and yeah, stuff, and different tastes will evolve. Then, yeah, why not? I mean, I've got to say, the alcohol industry—you know—you wake up with a horse's head in your bed or something one morning. I expect if they—I mean, well, no, I'm not, not naming any specific <laughs> companies, but there'll be yeah. there'll be vast vested interests ranged against you. You're not trying to wipe out the alcohol industry, particularly, are you? You're trying to give no. consumers a choice. It's interesting. You know, I mean, a few years ago when I started putting this idea out, I actually talked to a. a senior scientist in one of the top alcohol companies and he said something really interesting to me he said uh, my company employs 200 scientists we all know we're killing people we all know that the future has to be something different uh, and he was very excited and he went back to his company and, and after a month i said well i haven't heard from you are we going to progress this and he said marketing said no <laughs> you know why do we need to bother at this point <laughs> but now i think things might be changing because um because I think this idea that young people, are, or some people, us even, are getting wiser. Mm. You know, maybe we would like now to have something that we could drink that didn't harm us. At least I have a choice. Yeah. And I'm thinking giving people the option is, yeah. I certainly, I, you know, I don't want to wipe out the drinks. I would need the drinks industry. I mean, I can't manufacture a drink. I can invent a drink, but I can't manufacture and distribute a drink. So we'd have to work hand yeah. in hand with at least some of the industry. Okay, but what about the psychological component of this? Yeah. The, you know, drinking to non-pain so drinking to deal with the, the kind of things you talk about christian with your mm. some of your work mm. there would be no difference to drinking alcohol there would there because no, there would, you're no. dealing with the under you're not dealing with the underlying causes you're just masking but it would be things with alcohol harmful, I suppose. but it'd be less physical al- harmful rather than less yeah. psychologically harmful. still wouldn't solve your problems just like drinking no. doesn't solve no, your problems no, no. no but in fact it might make you realize it wasn't solving your problem i think the trouble with alcohol is it Actually, for a long time, you can suppress a lot of feelings mm. if you drink a lot. We know that people with post-traumatic stress disorder, mm. soldiers could drink for 20-odd years every day, dampening down those fears, dampening down those flashbacks, to the point when eventually they can't anymore. But they've wasted 20 years of their life, you know, being yeah. numb with the effects of alcohol. Uh, alcohol wouldn't do that. You know, we, we can use very clever pharmacology so that you couldn't get out of your head, so you would never be numb you'd always have a degree of awareness of what you're doing. So would there be enough uptake on it? I'm probably giving away too much about myself and my drinking habits, but, you know, is would that make it popular? Maybe it would. Maybe people would feel safer on it. Maybe women, for instance, would feel yeah, safer yeah. taking that and still be able to walk home. Yeah. But the other point, I, from what I've understood, is that it's reversible. Well, it could be reversible. I mean, we're not, I think that's that would be a, something we would look... I don't, I don't want to make a claim that i mean it could be it would it be, be reversible but but whether you'd have an at first we thought well you could have an antidote leave the bar have an antidote but that adds another complexity you've got to invent well we have a molecule you know you'd have to take that molecule through the same level of testing it becomes much more i mean it's difficult enough to actually get one molecule <laughs> expensive to get one molecule through the whole drinks food safety testing but if we're talking you know let's talk okay pipe dream anything's possible that's also, it I is. think, quite an attractive... Although, will it mean we'll just really misuse it because we'll get, you know... But, you, uh, but the point is, Christian, there has a ceiling effect. So it has a ceiling I effect. I don't want to go all technical on you, but, no, 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 but, but these do. are partial agonists with, par- with partial efficacy, okay, so, so we can actually plateau... More is not more. More is not more. No, absolutely. Right. And I mean, the kind of way we're thinking, the target is two cocktails as the plateau. So there's no point in drinking a lot more because because you won't get any more drunk. That gives you an enormous safety margin. Think the problem with alcohol. I mean, people just die. Look at Amy Winehouse. She died. She died drinking a liter of vodka. But 
most people would die drinking a litre of vodka because alcohol eventually gets beyond, it gets you beyond drunk, it gets you to toxicity and kills you. And that was going to be my next question, actually, is that in a lot of these deaths from drug-related deaths, there is a cocktail of drugs involved, yes. usually, including alcohol. Would this lessen the likelihood of that? Much less, much less, really? I believe. Yeah, that's, absolutely. Again, yeah. so if, to me, very persuasive. If you take the view, and I don't think everyone agrees with this but if you take the view that alcohol is an addictive substance i mean is it i mean is like is it is it to some people like alcohol is addictive okay but, 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 to, but some people, to the nine percent we heard yes yeah nine okay. percent get addicted yeah right but so is yours any less addictive yeah, we could eliminate that, that because we addiction is not an inevitable consequence of having the effect of the drug because we already know that because 90% don't get addicted. Okay. So what is it with nicotine then? What percentage? What is About 40% of people get addicted to nicotine. Yeah. I would have thought it was higher than that actually, but the, uh, I would have imagined it was oh, God, based on no knowledge whatsoever. I would have thought it was higher than that. 40% of people who start smoking struggle to stop. Okay. Can, can I ask you something else? Sort of re- it, it's a wider question, but related to your thing as well. With question somebody just asked me is... In terms of how calorific alcohol is, drinks are, what is the difference? Is it a shot of vodka, a unit of alcohol in vodka, as calorific as a unit of alcohol in red wine, as a unit of alcohol Correct. in Guinness? A unit of alcohol is a mass of alcohol. And if that you're contains... separating the alcohol out from the drink, but you're not, are you? No, no I'm ah, not. No, I'm I not. See. You're not. So, so we, no. Because one of the myths, I think, is that people think they can drink vodka with impunity because there's no weight getting involved. But there must be calories in vodka. It's a unit calorific. of alcohol. Look how well yeah. alcohol burns. That's, that's how yeah. calorific yeah. it is. But add into that the sugar, the flavourings, the everything yeah. else that's in whatever drink it is that you're right. talking about. You pile all that on top. So highly calorific usually, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. And the question is what, I mean, drinking neat vodka it would give you the minimum number of calories, but mm. who does that? Yeah. Only people who are actually very alcoholic. Most people put a mixer in and the mixer, but if you put in obviously, a, you know, a calorie free mixer, that, that helps. But for, for many young women, the alcohol's giving them half of their calories. <laughs> That's one of the advantages of something like Arcarel, is it would be calorie free. So that, it is calorie free. It would be calorie, it would be calorie free. free. Yes, I mean minuscule amounts of calories. Yes. Now I want to now move on to the second phase of the podcast, which is the Twitter questions that have been sent in over the last few days for the panel. So um, let me kick off with a question to both of you, mm. and it's from Jody, and she says, "If you could each change one aspect of our drinking culture at the click of your fingers, what would your choices be?" I would change our whole attitude that it is nothing, 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 and then it's go. You know, it's that we were talking about before, wind up and then let them go for it. At the and age of I, 18, you mean? Sorry? Yeah. At the age of 18. Yeah, yeah I, anyway. I, I favour, and I know some people still argue it's a problem. I'm not convinced, and I'm not basing this on reading massive studies on it. I'm actually basing it from personal experience, life experience, and that is a little bit now and again to normalize it stops you then going mentally at university and carrying that on you know for a lot of your life i think that's really important yeah i remember my dad saying to me i grew up in a place called hagley west of birmingham where it wasn't quiet but there wasn't a lot going on i vividly remember him saying when i was 14 or 15 so it's tough for you now and i was going around hanging around with my friends on street corners and the car park and stuff they said you know it's it's hard isn't it your age you know because you you're sort of too old to stay at home, but too young to go to the pub, you know. It'll be something for you to do, you know, when you can go to the pub. It was like the pot of gold at the end of the mm. rainbow. It's exactly what, it's exactly what you said. But it was a great challenge, wasn't it? How to get to be served alcohol oh, before God, you're yeah, old enough. I mean, yeah. all the tricks we used to do. <laughs> because these days it's a bit easier because it's in supermarkets, so you can just send your mate in. Um, you know, I would raid my parents' drinks cupboard at school, go right to the back to some revolting, encrusted old <laughs> oh, thing, yeah, yeah. take it back to school. I was at a posh boarding school, you know, get absolutely legless on this stuff. Yeah. Um, but when I got to university, where everyone was going mental on alcohol, I was like, been there, done that. Not, yeah, not you know, really I, interested that, anymore. That yeah. anxiety about getting served underage in pubs was such a source. It's such a key part of my youth. Just it was part of belonging, part of growing up. Yeah. Could I get served? Could I get served? It was so key. Even now, at the age of 52, I swear sometimes I'm vaguely pleasantly surprised. I can just walk into a pub, <laughs> hand over some money and get a pint. I still, the novelty still hasn't 100% gone. Yeah. You know, it's, it's absurd. 
I, I don't know. I agree with you, but I don't know how you legislate for that. What do you do? Just have a, a free for all, then then say anyone can drink at any time. For in the legislation, if parents want to give their kids a glass of something at home, that's okay. It, yeah. You know, and you talk about in France where kids will often have a sort of watered down glass of wine with a meal to normalise yeah. it. Do they have as big a problem with alcohol in France? But, I, but their culture is different. It may or may not but be. But isn't part that the point? Of that? That, the have, question is, what would I try yeah. and change? We change our culture. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a massive thing to try and change. I mean, it's very yeah. interesting. So we, there was a great pan European survey conducted um, relatively recently looking at the proportion of people across different European countries who were ever drunk. And the country that has the lowest proportion of people who get drunk is Italy. Because in Italy, to be drunk shows that you can't handle your alcohol. And the other extreme was, I think, Lithuania, where, where 30, 40% of people yeah. celebrate to get drunk. And when we asked them, well, why did you get drunk? He said, that's the point of drinking. <laughs> you know, there are different ways in which cultures use alcohol. Mm. And I guess one is the sort of, you know, the Viking berserker, you know, you get drunk so you can get out and fight, you know. And the others, you know... The Italian Mediterranean way, where alcohol is, you know, part of a balanced diet and a, a healthier way of living. There's another Brexit argument there, isn't there, or an anti-Brexit argument in that? <laughs> Perhaps we won't go there. You? <laughs> See, um, so I'd change. I mean, it's a tedious answer, but I think clearer information. I, I know it's Absolutely. boring, and I know having warnings on the side of cigarette packets didn't really stop people smoking as much. Whether the new ones have or I don't know, the ones where you see dying people on them, basically. Maybe that has. But I just think it can, we just need to see how many calories and how many units there are in every drink we drink. And it needs to be clear. No, it, it, I mean, the labelling on bottles, it goes, for more information on this, go to Drink Aware. Yeah. Well, as if, in a million <laughs> yeah. years, no someone's going to go, oh, yeah. No. Oh, just enjoying that wine. I could, is it hurting me? Hang on a minute. Is there a signal? Yes. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to consult Drink Aware on what can drink. It's just balls. There was a great uproar not very long ago when a bit of research came out looking into the reasons why people gave up smoking. And number yeah. one reason was more aesthetic reasons, how they looked, because it would age them. Yeah. And they didn't actually care about the health reasons. And everyone was like, oh, this yeah. is terrible. And I remember commenting on this, being asked to come out and going, why is this terrible? What does it matter what reason it is? As long as the reason's there. Yeah. So yeah. if you want to play on, it's going to make you old and wrinkly before your time great yeah. if that's the thing that gets or it's them. going to cause weight gain yeah, yeah. so, or, so, yeah. so no. you know it'd be interesting to know our alcohol if there is a similar you know what is it that the young people are turning away from and why you know why are yeah. they being I mean it's also alcohol? the cost of it is interesting Ian Gilmore I'm, you're not the only professor I know now, David. I've started flirting with other professors, such as Professor Sir Ian Gilmore. I'm sorry. I'm sorry temptation was put in my way. But he was saying the other day that he went to Vienna for some conference or other, and there were loads of, sort of kids standing around outside. They were all smoking, and he, he was just got chatting to him. He said, so why are you... So how come you're all smoking? People your age you don't generally see you out smoking. I said, it's just cheap. You know, so maybe that is the you know, rather, un, you know, unsophisticated lever you can use just to increase the price of it. But politically, it's so hard to do with, with alcohol. I mean, whenever, whenever the Chancellor at the, at the budget announces a freeze on alcohol prices or uh, duty or whatever, a big cheer goes up throughout the house. Yeah, it says it all. You know, they've got well, MPs there who are drinking themselves to death, whose parents died early deaths through alcoholism. So I think they want cheers. So another related question yeah. is, if we're starting from scratch, how would we regulate alcohol? So we're saying that education, appropriate labelling. I mean, I, I always find it weird that, you know, we've banned advertising of tobacco, and yet we haven't banned advertising of alcohol. Well, if we were to start from scratch, i.e. if alcohol just appeared, it would not be allowed, would it? It would be instantly banned, along with everything else that's been instantly banned, and actually probably a lot more rightly so than a lot of the yeah. things that have been banned. If alcohol was invented today and it was put through the food safety testing as a food ingredient, so you wanted to add it to your trifle to make your trifle taste better, then the toxicity of alcohol is such that the annual, the maximum annual amount, recommended maximum, would be one glass of wine per year. A year. Per year. So, so you can see we've already... <laughs> By bringing it down to 14 units a week, we're still, we're still giving it a lot more leeway than we would if it was some other kind of food. 
I think the hypocrisies don't help either. You know, the banning certain things that we know are relatively safe, the the almost arguably government endorsing of other things that we know are definitely not safe. It's just so. Like what what examples? Alcohol and ciggies. You know, yeah. I mean, that are the two examples, and banning a whole load of other stuff that is quite frankly perfectly safe. And until we sorted that mess out, I don't think we're ever going to be able to... I don't think Parliament is ever going to come up with a sort of valid argument I think, for, for doing yeah. one thing or well, another. Starting from scratch, it would be a short conversation. It just... It wouldn't get licensed. Whether you could then stop it anyway, any more than you... I mean, cannabis isn't licensed. Well, increasingly is. You know, other drugs aren't. But it doesn't stop them... It doesn't stop them growing. So whatever you do to license it or regulate it, I don't know. But we are where we are culturally. So all you can do is give complete information and just not let this Trumpian fake news stuff completely muddy the waters when it comes to the, you know, the work of medical professionals around the world in in coming up with the, the, the safe drinking limits. Absolutely. So one very important topic we, we need to touch on, Christian, is this question about health benefits. The alcohol industry has made quite a lot of, in fact, it's used the possible health benefits for heart disease in middle-aged men as as an important touchstone for saying, well, there's a benefit, so we can ignore all the disbenefits. I mean, what do you think about that? So it's a question, yeah, of weighing up the benefits of drinking versus the benefits of not drinking. And I still think the benefits of not drinking come out on the positive side don't they um oh, absolutely. particularly now with the stroke study i can't remember where that came from now the chinese was the reason chinese, chinese stroke study, study. Yeah. um but actually you know i was very much on the school of thought that teetotalers fared slightly less well overall in health than and here's this word moderate drinkers and i get what yeah. does that mean it would clearly have been defined in whatever that study was but you mm. would say no that's absolute nonsense it's a difficult one because a lot of people are teetotal because they're ill eliminating the the ill people from teetotalers and may you may lose that yeah. benefit of alcohol. But I think there is another important benefit, and this this really is there is no question most of us get a benefit from alcohol, which isn't a health benefit, but it is a social benefit. Mm. I guess tonight. I don't know what will happen in the you know, where you go in Parliament, but it's very likely they will serve alcohol. No, I don't think at this they will, to this be honest. Is, but, it, but, it is the Alcohol Health Alliance, so I think it'd be ironic <laughs> if they were, but and if well, they are, I'll, I'll, I'll report back. Sweetly ironic. But. but that would be unusual, because almost every other reception would yeah. serve alcohol. Why? Yeah. Because alcohol does help people talk to each other. You know, we, we know this, you know, it gets rid of social anxiety. It's a, we know that the commonest reason why young men become alcohol dependent is because they're so socially anxious that they got to drink in order to be able to talk to someone else at all. So, so there, are, there are clearly social benefits. And I, I, don't want to, I don't want a world where no one drinks. No. Because, that, I mean, actually, that was, you know, that, this is the Puritan Cromwellian, you know, and then they'll get rid of Christmas and then they'll probably get rid of soccer, won't they? Because, you know, it's almost like... I wouldn't mind that, actually. It's bringing me nothing but misery. But that's <laughs> interesting that we've, we've sort of, young people have moved into a world where they don't actually have to talk to each other face to face now. Oh, is that why they're drinking less? They talk online. And so I wonder that. if that, and this mm. is, I'm purely hypothesizing, but I wonder if that not having to face someone yeah, to yeah. ask them out, but instead send them a picture of your willy and ask them out that way or whatever it is that people do, you know, that <laughs> might be slightly easier and not require a drink. But sooner or later, you've got to meet them in the flesh, haven't you? And that's probably when you have a drink. Yeah. The public perception of the research on alcohol is, and I think I've got a unique perspective on this because unlike you know under anyone really i've got i walk around and people just come and tell me what of they course, think no, about yeah. alcohol all the time i could say you know i wish i'd tape recorded every conversation i had i mean it'd be it'd be hundreds of hours long and everyone is sick of dire warnings and this this is true of programs done about brexit and stuff everyone has got bird flu everything everyone <laughs> is is nobody believes scare stories anymore Nobody believes bad news because they've heard so many different things. And stuff we've all heard our dad say, or, you know, when at the moment you throw your hands up and go, well, I don't know, one thing, egg, one minute eggs are good for you, then they're not, one minute red wine is, then it is, and then chocolate is, it isn't, and all that nonsense. In that messaging, we're just ending up confusing everybody. I don't know, we almost need to come up with something simple and, and stick to it. I don't know, what, what, what is the benefit? As I understand it, if you drink a very small amount and you're over the age of 55, 
you might get some amount. small benefit to your that's right. cardiovascular I think it, it's Yeah, that's right. And the small amount is half a glass of wine. A night. A night. No is more. it preferably red wine and you've got to be male? And that's the sort Those of are the, that's where the evidence is. There is it actually it's very hard to find any evidence of any amount of alcohol being beneficial for healthy women. But but I mean I just don't want us to forget the fact that psychological health. Yeah. Ha- you know, but you would not most... advocate alcohol as a psychological tool to get over your anxiety, would you? I was certainly not to get over it. No. But <laughs> so, on the other hand, you know, a lot of my great memories in life are so yeah. this is why I think, you know, if you had a something which was as good as alcohol or maybe not even as good but acceptable, but without the health harms, we would actually well, the world would be a happier place, don't you think? Yes, possibly. <laughs> he says very, very cautiously. No, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think we do get nervous about. You know, I get nervous. Large crowds of people walking to a room, having to perform, as it were. But if alcohol wasn't available, you'd find a way of doing it without alcohol, yeah. wouldn't you? And, and how many TV shows? You know, this is obviously yeah. slightly niche for us. But how many TV shows have we presented? And I haven't been pissed. I can say all of them. Um, you yeah. know, and I've still been able to do it okay. So what did I find within myself to muster yeah. up? Christian, you raise a really interesting. But I'd honestly never thought about that. I've never had a drink before I've gone on air, and I've presented thousands of TV shows. So how come I can do that yet? Yeah. I wouldn't be looking forward to it as no. much. As, so there's a disconnect there, isn't yeah, it? People, yeah, people say is. to me, how do you do live TV? Do you not get terrified? And I no. say, well, life is lived live. Every conversation yeah. you have is live. This is live. I don't have to go back and say it again because I've cocked it up. Yeah. And if you sort of face live TV, Guys, I'm going to gone t- off topic. I'm going to tell but... you when I first met Adrian. Yeah, go on. All right, absolutely. Is it going to embarrass him, this story? No, no not no. at all, no. But I've it's told true. it against myself a few Not times. at all, no. We, we met, you chaired this new chat show. Yeah. And there was me and... Uh, and a few other people, including uh, Sherry Blair. Yeah. You were orchestrating it brilliantly. Fantastic. What happens afterwards? We no, no, go no. and have a drink. No, it's better because, than that. No, it's better than that. No. I asked, sorry, Prof. I asked, I was being cheeky because I've never, I've never taken any drugs. Yeah. Right. I mean, I've smoked pot and it didn't really suit me once or twice. And I had cocaine once. It had no discernible effect. Perhaps it was just rubbish cocaine. However... I was saying to David, says, so what, what, if I wanted to get into drugs, what would you advise? And I, said, I don't take drugs at all. <laughs> you know, what, what would you advise? What would be a good entry-level drug? I was being, you know, I was being, obviously being a clever dick. Half an I didn't get, you know, I didn't get a straight answer, which is fine. Then I was standing there in the bar afterwards, and he came over to me. He said, I thought you said you didn't take drugs. I said, well, what do you mean? And, I had, and he said, well, what's that? And it was a glass of red wine in my hand. Yeah, I mean, it's true. just, it's, it's absolutely bang on. That's what I meant about the hypocrisy. Yeah. And then he gave me a load of MDMA to try. No, I made that <laughs> And he that. has some good MDMA, <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> That's probably quite a good point to end this part of the discussion. So can I say thank you both to... Uh, I, I used to call him Adrian Charles, but I think we have to call him Alcohol Charles. <laughs> he has become the man of the... Man I've, of been, the I've been called worse. And, and Christian Jessup. I don't think we've solved many problems, but thank you for having me. So many thanks to today's guests. Looking forward, we have a fascinating series for you, digging deep into a variety of drug-related topics and culminating in a live show about psychedelics on the evening of the 13th of November in London. For more information on this or any of the topics discussed, head over to the drugscience.org.uk website or fire me a question directly on Twitter with hashtag AskDavidAnything. That's everything from us today. Join us next time when we'll be discussing drug testing at festivals. If you like this show, please click the subscribe button. A fascinating production for drug science.